your hearts with mine in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When Jesus heard what had happened, that's how this section starts out today, with those words, when Jesus heard what had happened. Well, when Jesus heard what had happened. We need to answer that question this morning. If we are going to to fully understand and make sense of what comes next in this famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. Well, here's, here's what had happened. John the Baptist, the prophet in the wilderness, the one who was the, the forerunner of the Messiah, who, who pointed to Jesus in the wilderness and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was dead. He had been arrested sometime earlier by King Herod for preaching against Herod's adulterous relationship. Herod kept him in prison for a while, but then, ultimately, to satisfy the whims of a dancing teenage girl, Herod had John beheaded. And when news of this reached Jesus and the disciples, it would have been a crushing blow for them. You see, not only was John Jesus' own cousin, but a number of Jesus' disciples had been John's disciples first before John sent them along to Jesus. This would have been an incredibly demoralizing moment for those men. And yet, even more than that, it undoubtedly also caused some questions to arise in their hearts and in their minds. Questions like, if John was God's prophet, then why would Jesus let this happen to him? And if John wasn't God's prophet, well, then what does that say about Jesus? Does that mean that Jesus isn't really who he says he is either? This was a moment of tremendous adversity for those disciples. But if Jesus' own 12 disciples were not immune to this kind of adversity and that kind of questioning, it it means that we are not immune to it either. Maybe you can think back to some time in your life when you found yourself in adversity. Or maybe you're feeling like you're going through that right now today. Maybe that adversity came when something or somebody that you loved was was ripped suddenly away from you with no hope of ever getting it or getting them back. Maybe that adversity came when when some deep trust in your life was was just utterly shattered and you knew there was no way you were ever going to be able to put those pieces back together again. Maybe that adversity came when some deeply held belief that you had, whether spoken or unspoken, conscious or subconscious, was just totally turned upside down and the bedrock you thought you were standing on opened up and you felt yourself in free fall. Maybe for you that that moment of adversity came when, when you heard what had happened. When you heard that the cancer was back. When you heard that the company was laying you off. When you heard that somebody you loved, died so suddenly. When you heard that he or she was dating somebody else. When you heard that the bank was moving ahead with the foreclosure. 
When you heard that your spouse was leaving. When you heard that that child you were so looking forward to welcoming into the world didn't have a heartbeat anymore. And when we find ourselves in these moments of adversity, it is very easy for us to start asking some of those questions as well. God, if you're really there, why would you let this happen to me? Don't you care? Didn't you tell me that that you would always take care of me? Provide for my needs? If I can't rely on him, then, then who? And that's because, and this is our first key point today, that's because adversity creates amnesiacs. That is to say that when we are going through these times of tremendous hardship and stress and anxiety, it becomes very, very easy for us to forget the kind of God that we have. Jesus knows this about his disciples. He knew it then, and he knows it about disciples today. And that's why he made tremendous use of an opportunity at hand to remind his disciples who he was and the kind of God they always, always have. So today we're reading from Matthew 14, starting at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now you can maybe imagine how irksome this actually might have been for those disciples. They're grieving. They are just emotionally desiccated by everything that has happened. Those disciples need some time alone. They need to process everything that has happened. They need to ask Jesus the the questions that, that were undoubtedly running through their hearts and their minds. And so when they arrived at that supposedly solitary place and saw the crowds, maybe they were thinking, this is finally the time when Jesus is going to tell these people to take a hike. He knows how much we need him right now. And yet when Jesus saw those crowds, which really in the Greek kind of has the connotation of mobs associated with it, these mobs of needy people who always needed something from him, what did Jesus do? He had compassion on them. And he gave those needy people what they needed from him. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And you can practically see the disciples kind of sulking off to the side here, right? They're not right with Jesus helping to, like, manage the crowds or anything like that. No. When they finally decide enough's enough here, they came over to Jesus, didn't they? Jesus, it's time to get rid of these people, finally. We need to be alone. Get rid of them. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Not the response I'm guessing those disciples were hoping to hear from Jesus. 
They're tired. They're exhausted. I get the sense they're sick of the crowds. And Jesus says, you feed them. Understand here that Jesus is giving them an impossible task. For 12 men to have the resources on hand to feed mobs and mobs of people, especially after they've just come to this random place on a boat, simply was not feasible. And the disciples understood that. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Their response reflects the impossibility of the assignment that Jesus just gave them, right? And yet, what's happened here? Those disciples have forgotten something very important. They've forgotten who it is exactly that they are with. They've forgotten that they are with Jesus who's able to heal people with a touch. Jesus, who sent the lame away walking again. Jesus, who cast out demons as though they were powerless ragdolls. Jesus, who calmed a storm with a single word. They're suffering this, this amnesia of sorts. Well, now, now Jesus is going to remind them. Let's finish the reading. Bring them here to me. So bring the, the five loaves and the two fish here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And I got to tell you, I just love that Matthew saves that tiny, itty-bitty little piece of important information for the very end there, right? Like, Jesus didn't just feed dozens and dozens or hundreds of people that day. Nope. 5,000 plus. With five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus fed 5,000 men, plus, oh yeah, there were also some women and children there too. And then it's kind of like the icing on this cake. Matthew records that Jesus sent those disciples out to pick up the leftovers, presumably one basket for each disciple, and they came back with 12 baskets full of leftovers. I love how one commentator put it when he said, each of those disciples left that place with a basket full of the proof that he needed. Well, the proof that he needed of what? It's our next key point today. The proof that God does amply provide every blessing we need, physical and spiritual. Now, sometimes we find ourselves in seasons of life where we might easily forget the the physical component of this. Usually when, when we aren't getting exactly what we want, even something really big that we want, or when we aren't getting what we feel God owes us for being good little Christians, right? It, it can be very easy for us to mistake that as some kind of lapse on, on God's part. And then there are seasons of life where we forget about the spiritual component of these things, where we might think that, that 
we must have to add something, put something on the table in order to help atone for all this guilt in our lives, that, that God's grace couldn't possibly be enough to cover X, Y, and Z from my past. And then there are seasons of life where we forget about both of these things, the physical and the spiritual. Often when we are going through those periods of tremendous adversity and hardship, it might be very easy for us to charge God with, with the, the fault that he doesn't take care of very much of anything at all. That his ability and his goodness must have taken a vacation or something like that. And so Jesus gives us the feeding of the 5,000 to remind disciples that he takes care of it all. Now, some of you might hear say, well, well isn't Jesus really taking care of just the, the physical side of things here? He's filling up stomachs with bread, right? Here's what we need to understand, though. You and I can't very well see one of our spiritual needs being met, Right? Like, you can't see your soul being expunged of a sin. You can't see your guilt being erased. You can't see all of the eternal spoils that God has in store for his children. And so Jesus gives his disciples something they can see. To assure them that his promises and his claims are absolutely certain even when they can't see those things. Jesus is saying here, as he provides for that need in such an overwhelming way, I can and will take care of it all. Even more so that I will do so, even at great cost to myself. Remember, those disciples were not the only ones who were going through something. They were not the only ones grieving. Jesus had lost his cousin. He had lost a man that he deeply respected and admired. Jesus was in need of a period of rest. He needed time to pray. He needed time to process in his heart and in his mind everything that had just happened. And yet Jesus sacrificed the rest that he needed to take care of the needs of the needy people around him, including those disciples. I will empty myself, he says, in order to fill you up. Of course, this is really just a, a foretaste of the far greater care of Jesus that was yet to come. Not too far down the road, when another mob would surround him, a mob who was not there to feel the healing touch of his hands, but a mob that was there to accuse him and beat him, mock him and spit on him, a crowd who would force him to carry his cross up a high hill called Golgotha and there would nail him onto it. On that cross, then, the perfect Son of God emptied himself. He emptied himself of his righteousness as, as he became sin for us. He emptied himself, the living God emptied himself of, of life as he closed his eyes in death. 
The Lord of heaven emptied himself of his glory as he suffered hell on our account. You see, Jesus is about so much more than just filling stomachs with food that will eventually become hungry again. He's about so much more than casting aside a disease that will eventually be replaced by another. He's about so much more than just a a temporary, short-term care of people. Now, Jesus emptied himself so we will be satisfied forever. I'd be a little bit surprised if, if anyone here today knew the name Carissa Bugle. She's not a household name by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, I would contend that Carissa did something far greater with her life than any of those celebrities who are household names. You see, Carissa was nine months pregnant when she went to the the hospital for a a scheduled, planned C-section. It was supposed to be such a happy day for her. She was finally going to hold that that child in her arms that that she'd been growing in in her womb, that, that she'd been looking forward to meeting for so long. And then in a couple days, she'd take that kid home and, and they'd kind of start life all over again as an even bigger family than before. But as doctors were prepping her for the C-section, they realized that Carissa had a very rare condition called an amniotic fluid embolism. I'll spare you all of the details. Essentially, this means that, that during birth or even during a C-section, amniotic fluid leaches into a mother's bloodstream, causing a catastrophic shutdown of all her major organs, leading inevitably to death. And so Carissa was given a choice. She could either delay, have a surgery that would save her life, but would almost certainly kill her child, or go through with the C-section, save her child, and almost certainly kill herself in the process. Doctors gave her minutes. Carissa chose the latter. Her life for her little babies. And to an even greater degree, even, even than that, That's why Jesus does what he does. That's why he did what he did. That's why Jesus takes our sin, bears our guilt and our shame, bears the, the punishment for all of it. That's why Jesus empties himself so that we will be filled up to the full so that we will be filled up with his righteousness, so that we will be filled up with salvation and with hope, so that we will be filled up with every good promise that that God gives to his children, so that we will be filled up with eternal life. A life in which every single one of our needs, physical, spiritual, and everything in between, is met fully and forever. And so the next time that you find yourself in one of these seasons of adversity, the next time you hear what happened to or what happened with fill in the blank, remember your Jesus who faced 
the ultimate adversity so that you will be filled up with everlasting joy. Amen.